Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in to the New Birth Podcast. There's a word of hope for you today and we are excited for what God is doing here at New Birth. For more information, visit our website, nbplaceofhope.com. Now for the message by our senior pastor, Gabby Mejia. You can go with me to the book of Daniel, chapter number three. <clears throat> book of Daniel, chapter number three. If somebody could give me a hot cup of tea, I would greatly appreciate that. <clears throat> book of Daniel, chapter number three. We're going to read a lot today, as much as I possibly can. When you have it, say amen, Daniel chapter number three. We're going to read probably the entire chapter. And it reads like this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, and judges, magistrates, and all of the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then a herald shouted out, all people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, thither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the music, All the people, whatever their race or nation language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But Some of the astrologers went to the king and informed the Jews and informed on the Jews. Even back in the Bible, you had gossipers. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the cither, lyre, harp, pipes, and instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing fire. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Now, time out. Nebuchadnezzar built a statue so that the statue could be worshipped. But verse 12 says, they refuse to serve your gods. And then he says, and on top of the fact that they don't serve your gods, they don't worship the statue. But Nebuchadnezzar never mentioned the worshiping of his gods. Interesting. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. And when they brought him in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down. And worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the music instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the gold statue you have set up. Consequence, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with these three guys, that his face became distorted with rage. 
He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than the usual. That's a key phrase. Seven times hotter than the usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind the three men and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, and because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. Talk about hot. Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisor, did we not tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted. I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. God, I could preach that for an hour. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Adrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. So they came out and stepped out of the fire. Then the officers and all the other people saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was signed. And their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell. Listen, when God get through with you, you ain't even going to smell like smoke. They didn't even smell like smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Huh. 29, therefore I make this decree, if any people who ever their race or nation or language speak a word against the God of Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions of the province of Babylon. Ooh. He promoted them to a higher level. But the price of promotion was a fiery furnace. So I want you to touch your neighbor and tell your neighbor, tell them bowing down is not an option. I want you to tell four people, tell them bowing down. Crying is an option, but not bowing down. Bowing down is not an option. Let me put that clock on before I start. <laughs> As I read this scripture <clears throat> to share with you all today, I was intrigued by five characters in the scripture. Actually, more, but... The three Hebrew boys, obviously. The fourth person in the fire. But Nebuchadnezzar really intrigued me, and it forced me to go in Scripture or history to see a little bit about who Nebuchadnezzar was. And it's interesting that Nebuchadnezzar conquered Nineveh at the age of 17 years old. Nineveh, if you go to the minor prophet Jonah, you know they... There was a fish that swallowed Jonah because God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach salvation to that city. And Jonah was angry with God because he did not want God to save the Ninevites because they were evil people. The evil in Nineveh stemmed out of the leadership of this psychotic man. Nebuchadnezzar, at the age of... Of 17, I'm talking about some, some, some kids at 17 are, are going through puberty. Some kids at the age of 17, they still popping pimples, talking about Oxytan, you know, you know. But Nebuchadnezzar, at the age of 17, he conquered an entire nation called Nineveh. And he conquered it with 50,000 soldiers. Seven, I'm not talking about 70, 17. Any 17-year-olds here? 17-year-olds here. At the age of 17, conquered Nineveh. 
Now, he conquered Nineveh with a bunch of fiercest soldiers that, who, who, by the way, were cruel in their DNA. They were so cruel that whenever they would conquer a land, they wouldn't just conquer it and take the spoils and, 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 and establish their throne or colonize the area. They would take over the land and devastate the citizens. And one of the things they would do when they captured a, sea, a land, they would take all of the hostages, the soldiers who were hostages, and just to mock them as if to say, we're in control Nebuchadnezzar had sent a decree. It was, part of, it was part of the process of capturing countries. They would take the soldiers and tie them up to ropes on their legs and hands and tie the rope to horses running in different directions, splitting these men in two. That's why he says later on, whoever doesn't worship the God of, Ab of, of Tadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they'll be torn from him. This is something that Nebuchadnezzar did to create fear. And torture. He was a horrible guy. So he would conquer. He would destroy. He would annihilate. Nebuchadnezzar controlled nations simply by the fear that he projected at the age. I mean, you got to be some kind of terror that at the age of 17, nations are bowing before you. 17 come up to me, talk about, hey, I, man, I backslap. You get out of here, 17-year-old. But nations would tremble. Because Nebuchadnezzar was nobody to play with. You could play with anybody. Don't play with Nebuchadnezzar. He was crazy. Can you imagine having a narcissistic egomaniac as a ruler at the age of 17? Here's worse. Eight years later, not only did he conquer Nineveh, but eight years later, by the time he was 25, he conquered his world. At the age of 25, Nebuchadnezzar conquered his world. Can you imagine that? Now, I don't mind being around people with power if they know how to handle power. But people with power need to know how to balance it. Otherwise, they will abuse it. Have you ever seen people with power and they abuse it? They were great servants and they were great leaders until they got a position and they just went, <laughs> they just went crazy with it. Because some people can't handle authority. Nebuchadnezzar was the kind of leader you can mess with. He was the kind of leader that he didn't allow anybody to cross the line. He'll tear you up from the floor. He was so narcissistic. He was, such, he was such a psychotic egomaniac that he decides to build an image nine feet tall. Isn't that crazy? Imagine you pawn that stuff in a little pawn. Nine feet tall gold image. He built an image of himself. Now, now bear in mind, Nebuchadnezzar had gods he worshipped. He had a plethora of God that Nebuchadnezzar worshipped. But he said, he said, aside from the gods I worship, I want to build it. I'm so into myself. I'm so into me. I'm so into controlling the world that I want to build an image. Listen, in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, there was no statue, no image greater than this image. He built an image nine feet tall. Now, his was crazy. One of the gods Nebuchadnezzar worshipped was the God called Son. That's why when you see, when you see that, that the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar said, whoever does not bow to the image will be thrown in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar did not put a fiery furnace because he assumed that people were not going to bow to him. Because Nebuchadnezzar had no doubt in his mind that everybody was going to bow to him. He didn't have a fiery furnace just in case they don't obey me. Because everybody was afraid of this 25-year-old guy. It wasn't that he built a fiery furnace just in case somebody decides to revolt against him. No, no, no. He had no doubt that everybody was going to bow down. So then why have a fiery furnace? Because while he's getting self-worship... Bear in mind that his God was the God of fire. So by having a fiery furnace, even his God was worshiping himself. 
even his God, the God of fire, as it was turned up in fire and the fiery furnace was flaming, that expression of fire was giving worship to the statue he had raised. That's how crazy this guy was at the age of 25. He didn't build an image of himself in the name of his gods. I'm sorry, he didn't build the image in the name of his gods. He built the image in the name of himself. And then he says, I want the God of fire to worship me. I want the God of, 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 the God of fire, the God of rain, all of these gods to bow down and to worship me. Listen, you got to be careful not to hang around with narcissistic, egomaniac people in your life. Can I get a good amen? People that all they think is about themselves. And they're trying to build their kingdom and their world. Listen, stay away from those psychotic folk. But now listen to this. It is in that context that now Israel experiences what they call the diaspora, which is the dispersing of the Jews. And this happened because, oh God, I won't know, that's history. No, this, this happened because they were conquered by Babylon. It's crazy. And now they're put in a predicament where they are now slaves, which, by the way, these slaves were the children chosen of God. But they're chosen by God, but they're in a predicament, and they're in battle, and Babylonians take over Israel. Now, the question is, why were they battles in the Old Testament? The battles in the Old Testament they weren't fighting. They, listen, when you read the Bible, and when you read the Bible, the Bible battles in the Old Testament were not, they weren't fighting because a king, you know, cut somebody on the turnpike. And no, they, they, they wouldn't fight because of that stuff. They weren't fighting because, you know, my nephew don't like your nephew and, and your brother got my daughter pregnant. Don't, those fights weren't out those kinds of fights. Whenever nations will fight against nation, they weren't fighting over issues. They were fighting, it was a battle of gods. The fight was, whose God is going to win? The battles of the Old Testament consistent of the gods. Because each nation will go to battle before the enemy on behalf of their God. And at the end of the day, the battle was this, whose God is greater? So when they were battle, it was, it was, a, it was, it was a godly fight. It was a religious fight. And it is in that context that Babylon, which is Nebuchadnezzar and the sun fire and the sun moon and all these suns go now and they capture, they seize the Israelites and they take the best of the best from Israel and they bring them to Babylon. And now they're making them worship the God that quote unquote defeated Israel. I'm here to tell you. That whenever you see battles in the Old Testament, you not to realize that this has nothing to do with stuff. Whenever you go through battles in life, understand this. When you go through battles in life and you feel the devil is attacking you and the devil is torturing you and the devil is against you. He is not fighting you because of you. This is not a battle against you and the devil because he don't want you to have the house of your dreams. This is a godly battle. The devil is trying to prove to God that you don't worship him. And God is trying to tell the devil, he going to worship me no matter what you throw him. And so this is the battle of who's going to win, God or the enemy. Listen to me. The question is, how do I go about my life in the midst of battle? But for that, you have to understand that there is glory in worshiping a God you cannot see. Nebuchadnezzar had the God of fire. Whenever the Babylonians saw fire, it connected them with God, their God, Lord KC. But the people of Israel, God told them, he said, thou shalt not have any worship images before me. God never, God never, God never required his people to have a physical image of who God is. Why? Because the glory of worshiping God is that we worship God not based on what we see. We worship God based on what we know about the God we serve. All of the God had images. Yet in their stead, I'm sorry, all of the gods had images. Yet these three guys having no God, no image of God, decided not to bow down to the gods of Babylon. Listen to me. 
Because God had never made an image of himself. He has always been outside of our sensual perceptions. And this is why we as believers, we need to understand how God operates. God doesn't work with us through our sensual perceptions. And I'll be honest, I've been serving, my, I've been serving God over 30 years, 35 years. I've never seen Jesus' face. You know, people, oh, I saw Jesus and I saw his beard and uh, one of his hairs from his nose fell on me and I felt the Holy Spirit. Now, that never happened to me. Never happened to me. I never saw Jesus. I never saw God. I never saw an angel. I never saw a bird. I never saw Cupid. I never, no, I've never saw Jesus. And there are those that have, you know, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, more power to you. But I've never seen Jesus. So it, my relationship with God is not based on what I've seen. My relationship with God is not based on any outer experience I've had in my sensual capacity. Now, other nations would have their gods that they could visibly see, but the God of Israel was a God that you couldn't see. How often, listen to me, can you decipher God's presence even when you can't see him? How can you form the presence or create a presence of an omnipresent God. God never allowed himself to be made an image of himself. The good thing about this is, church, is that now when I understand this, my relationship with God cannot be sensual. It cannot even be cognitive. But my relationship with God has got to be spiritual. This is why when you don't have a spiritual relationship with God, you're going to go in your Christian walk based on your senses and based on what you think. But when you live the walk, when you live this walk based on the spirit, you understand that some things in life you cannot see, you cannot explain. It doesn't make sense. But because you're led by the spirit, you're going to have a relationship with God from spirit to spirit. This is why the Bible says that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that we cannot utter. If we can utter these groanings, that means that we can say them. But we can't do it. That's what God told Elijah. He says when, he, when, when Elijah was trying to hear the voice of God, the Bible says that God showed up in a still small voice this is a voice you can hear audibly this is a voice that you can hear in your perception and your senses instead is a voice that you hear in your spirit and the lord wants to take us to a realm when we begin to hear god by the spirit of god that by our environment i wanted the church to grow to the level where we're not following god based on a prophet telling us thus saith the lord but we're following god because our spirit it has an audible connection to the voice of God because what's going to happen is there's going to come a time where you ain't going to see God when you ain't going to feel God when nobody's going to speak to you on God's behalf but your spirit is so connected to the Holy Spirit that you're not led by your senses you're led by the power of God how can you have peace that surpasses all understanding if your relationship with God is intellectual impossible how can you have peace that surpasses all understanding if your relationship with God is based on your senses because today I'm happy tomorrow I'm sad today I'm rejoiceful tomorrow I'm bitter now the reason why I can have a relationship with God regardless of my predicament is because my relationship with God transcends what I see transcends what I feel my relationship with God is spiritual and because it's Spiritual, spiritual walk with God goes greater than intellectual reality, church. Are you to evaluate all that God has done through you and come to this conclusion? Like Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. After you evaluate all you've gone through, I'll be honest with you, man. When I, when I look back over my life and I, and I think about everything I've been through in life, I should be, I, I, I should be a little crazy. When, when, I, when I look about everything, the backstabbing, the, the, the rejection, the, the I don't like you, the who you think you are, that you're not going to grow, that you're, you're ugly. And you're, when, when, when you start thinking about all of the betrayal 
and all of the pain and all of the hurting, it, it, it kind of makes you want to get crazy. It, it kind of makes you want to not trust nobody. It kind of makes you want to not accept nobody. It kind of makes you want to not be around nobody. Because then you, in your mind, your intellect starts telling you, don't trust her, girl. Because, you know, she's just like the other one. Don't trust him, boy. He's just like the other one. And, and stay away from everybody. And don't hang out with nobody. But there's something about the Holy Spirit of God. When the Holy Spirit of God operates in my life, I now see the attacks from a different perspective. I see the attacks as a means by which God is telling me you got to understand that I allow those things to happen so that you can realize that the higher you want to go will be predicated on how you're willing to seek my face even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of the pain. So when you have a spiritual walk with God, you can look at your trouble, look at your pain, look at your dividers, look at your hate and say, I don't care what you do on the outside because this body's going to decompose but my spirit will live forever when you live a spiritual walk with God you live a life of trust when you live a spiritual walk with Christ you can trust God because of what God has deposited in your spirit then you could keep on believing but if you don't have a relationship with God in the spirit God cannot deposit anything in your spirit to walk so God wants to take us listen God wants to take us from living a sensual perception life into living a spiritual life with God. You know that some people, they, they, they go backwards in God. Instead of going forward, some people go backward. John the Baptist, I'm going to give you the paradox between John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist, when he was unconscious in his mother's womb, he didn't have cognitive thoughts. When John the Baptist was in his mother's womb, when Elizabeth was pregnant of John the Baptist, he, could, he didn't rationalize. He didn't know what two, was, two plus two was. He didn't know what was his mother's name. He didn't know. He didn't know. His eyes was closed. He was feeding off his mother's body. He had no idea of what was going on in his environment. He didn't have any, any ability to, to rationalize, to think, to evaluate because he is in an unconscious state. And his, in, in his unconscious state, he can't do nothing but depend on his mother to feed him. He can't do nothing but depend on his mother to nourish him. And it was in that unconscious state, the Bible says that when Elizabeth went to visit Mary... Mary went to visit Elizabeth and they got together John the Baptist who was not conscient John the Baptist who was still in the fetal position when he was next to the mother of Jesus the Bible says that John began to jump in the belly of his mother. Now, why did John the Baptist jump in the belly of his mother? If he didn't have the capacity to understand his environment, if he didn't have the capacity to know what's white and what's black and what's yellow, he didn't know in the natural that Jesus was in Mary's womb. But because his cognitive ability wasn't operational, his spiritual ability was in full force. So when he perceived in his spirit that in the mother's womb, was Jesus. He began to jump. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. There are some things in the natural that does not make sense. But when you're connected to the spirit, even the things that are rough, even the things that are tough, even the things that hurt, you can see the glory of God in the midst of that. Now, now listen, now listen. The unconscious John perceived Jesus through the spirit. Let's fast forward 30 years later. 30 years later, John the Baptist is preaching. Now he's conscious. Now he has the capacity to operate by cognitive thoughts and also by sensual. And he is going by his feelings. He's going by his thoughts. He's going by what he knows. And look at what happens. On one, 30 years later, he sends messengers to Jesus. And he says, are you the one or should we wait for another? Before he was born, he was having church in his mother's womb because he said he's the one. 30 years later, because he's going by what he feels, he's going by what he's going through, he's going by what his intellect, now he's questioning, are you the one? See, and this is what God wants to take us. God wants to take us to a level where we're not operating our walk by how we feel, by what we think. We got to live this walk by the spirit of God. Because if you go by what we look, then Jesus died a rugged death. Jesus was being on the cross. He was tore up from the flow up. But when you look at it from the spirit, he died so that we can live. 
This is to be church. God wants to transcend us from the cognitive reality into a spiritual walk. Listen to me, church. This is a battle, man. Being a Christian is a battle. Can somebody say amen? It's not easy to be a Christian. Coming to church with a Bible, talking about hallelujah, let's go deeper, let's go deeper. It's a battle. And these guys became followers of God before they got into this predicament. Now, let, let's look at the decline of these three Hebrew boys. Let's look at the decline. Three Hebrew boys. The moment they were captured by Babylon, they began to experience a decline in their senses, in their cognitive thoughts, and in their reality, in their natural environment. Understand this. When, when, they sh- when these three Hebrew boys showed up in, in Babylon, they didn't come as ambassadors of Jerusalem to represent Babylon. No, no, no. They, they, they were forced to go to Babylon. They were defeated by Nebuchadnezzar and Israel. Understand this. God didn't choose Israel to be defeated by no nation. So why were they bound and why were they slaves? Let me tell you why, church. Because when the church and when God's people walk out of God's principles, you become easy prey for the enemy. They were not supposed to be defeated by any nation. And let me tell you this, church. The moment you start walking and living out of principle, don't expect God to fight on your behalf. The moment you step out of God's purpose, the moment you step out of God's principle, I'm here to tell you, when you walk out of God's principle, you become a victim of the enemies around you. So remain living a life in principle. And you will see that none of your haters will be able to destroy you. Because the enemy can only get you when you walk out of the... That's when you read the book of Judges. Chapters 1 through 7, it, all, all those chapters start saying, and the people of God did wrong before the sight of the Lord. And chapter 2, and the people of God did wrong before the sight of the Lord. And the people of God, chapter 3, did wrong before the Because whenever you step out of principles, you're going to have the Amalekites. You're going to have the Midianites. You're going to have all of the enemies against you. But when you walk in principle, you can do like the psalmist says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what do you do? Church, let me drink some of my tea here. What do you do when you lose it all? These men were part of the elite group of the population of Israel. When when Nebuchadnezzar went to Babylon to get all these slaves, he didn't get the rugrats. He left them in Israel. That's when you read Nehemiah. I'll preach another day. He, he took the best out of Israel. And he brought them in caravans to Babylon. And he brought them down. Listen to me. He took the best people. What am I trying to tell you, church? Satan don't attack you because you're a nobody. If he's attacking you, it's because he knows that you're great. If he's attacking you because he knows that you're valuable. If he's attacking you because he knows that you got. Listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in charge of the province of Babylon. To be in charge of the province of Babylon meant that you was like a mayor. Means that you was a tetrarch. Means that you was a leader. So they didn't just pick whippersnappers. They picked the best of the best. Why? Because whenever you have something good to impact into the world, the enemy is after. That's why, that's why, that's why every time the devil attacks me he confirms to me how important I am how valuable I am how great I am so the bigger the battle and the bigger the fight and the bigger the struggle is an indicator that God can do mighty things through you if you don't bow down and stay standing says the Lord listen to me Nebuchadnezzar made sure he took the best of Israel to serve in Babylon making them operate for his benefits. This is to me. Making them understand astrology, philosophy. He took the best of the best. Now, what do you do, church? What do you do, church? When you lose it all. What do you do when you lose? I'm talking about when you, when you lose it all. I'm talking about everything, everything. I'm talking about everything. They lost the battle in Israel. That's one shame number one. 
Not only did they lose the battle, then they're taken out of their homeland. Shame number two. This is the decline. Then they lost their position as a people. They had no land until 1948. God gave it back to them. Then they lost the treasures of the temple. And now on top of it all, Nebuchadnezzar takes these guys. Daniel chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. He takes these guys and he turns them into eunuchs. He castrates their masculinity. Understand this. These guys worship the almighty God. The moment they're captured, now they become slaves. Now they are astrologers for a pagan, egomaniac, narcissistic man. On top of that, they lose their temple. On top of that, they lose their home. On top of that, they lose their dignity. And now they're castrated, becoming into eunuchs. Can you imagine? Serving God. And you're losing these things little by little. Serving God. And you get kicked out of Israel. Serving God. And you get evicted out of your house. Serving God. And your marriage is in crisis. You're serving God. And things look on the outside like you're losing. And things look on the outside that you're not victorious. And everything is going down. And everything is going down. And there's a decline in everywhere in your environment. And instead of things getting better, they're getting worse. Can you imagine? Where did this guy's faith come from? That even while they were losing, they still said, we're not bowing down. If, if, I, if, I, if, if he'd have been some of us, we would have been, we, we would have done quit week one. These guys got kicked out of Israel. We're not bowing down. Coming out of Israel in, in chains and shackles, going to Babylon. Whoosh, we're not bowing down. Now they have to learn astrology. Now they have to learn the, 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 the stars. And now they have to learn philosophical terms. And while they're learning philosophy and they're learning astrology, nope, God is still God. It ain't the stars. It's the son of God. And, and, and while they're going down, it, it, it should have been better for them to backslide and hang up the coat. And now they're slaves. And now they're cut, their masculinity is cut off can't produce but they're so faithful to God everything's going bad in their environment and what amazes me church what amazes me is the way they respond to Nebuchadnezzar they tell Nebuchadnezzar bro listen I know you're the man in charge here and yeah you know you split whore people with horses and and you destroyed the Ninevites, and yeah, 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 yeah. I know that. But what amazes me about these three guys is the level of brio that they had. The audacity and the conviction and the boldness that they mustered up together to tell Nebuchadnezzar, regardless of whatever you do to us, we will not bow. Now, here's what's crazy. I don't know which one of the three said it, but one of them said it. Because the Bible don't say, and Sazerac and Bishak, Benedictine, all together said, and we're like we do, you know, we touch and agree, that tithing and that. No, no. Somebody spoke for the three. But they were all in agreement by the Spirit that when he was speaking, yeah, brother, yeah, we ain't bound now. Can you stand strong, church, in the midst of what you're losing? Can you stand firm? In the midst of the situations you're going through, can you stand firm while you see that your family is capitulating? Can you stand firm while somebody's taking your promotion? Can you stand firm while the doctor says there's no way out? Can you stand firm? These guys said, I'm not bowing down. But all you've been through, I don't understand if you bow down. It's, you know, you know, everything you've been through, I, I want to take it personal. Satan wants you to operate by your senses. He wants you to operate by your cognitive thinking. He wants you to operate. You know why? Because when you operate by your thoughts and by your senses, you're operating in doubt. Not by the spirit. But God wants you to live your life through faith in your mind. To tell your mind that you're not driven from the outside in. But rather you're driven from the inside out. So that when you stand up with what you have on the inside. What's on the inside will never bow down to the things on the outside. 
I'm not going to bow down. Why? Because I've had convictions that this situation I'm going through right now will not determine where I'm going, church. My circumstance will not determine my outcome, but my faith and knowledge in God will take me where I'm going. And even if it looks like I'm losing, I'm winning because I'm not bowing down. What's the greatest message you could preach? The greatest message you could preach is when you stay standing in the middle of the things that want you to bow down. Me not bowing down tells my Nebuchadnezzar, you're not greater than my God. Me not bowing down tells my problem, you're not bigger than me. My God is bigger than you. Touch your neighbor, tell him, I'm not bowing down. I'm not bowing down. Even in the lowest moments of these Hebrew men, even in the lowest moments of these Hebrew men, becoming eunuchs. Can you imagine? 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 They lost their house. I'm bowing down. They lost their family. I'm bowing down. They're now immigrants in another land. I'm bowing down. And then on top of that, you emasculate. You take from me my masculinity. I'm bowing down. And, and, and then now they made an image nine feet tall. And, 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 and now they want you to bow. No, no, because they think, because they, this is how, somebody say preach. This is how the devil works. And this is what he did to Job. He says, he says, if I can see on the outside that Job loses his children, that Job loses his money, that Job loses his house, because what I see on the outside, he's going to deny God and die. But, 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 but when Nebuchadnezzar, through the decree that everybody had to bow down, he didn't doubt that these guys were going to bow down because when he saw them, they looked defeated on the outside. They looked destroyed on the outside. They had no masculinity. They had no family. But the Bible says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So me not bowing down tells Nebuchadnezzar, you're not greater than my God. So even in my lowest moments, I'm not going to bow down. You can make a eunuch out of me, but I'm not going to bow down. They stood before the king. We're not going to bow down. I come to tell you, church, keep on standing when the devil wants you bowing. Stand up on your feet. Not literally. Can I preach like I want to? Even in the lowest moments of the three Hebrew boys, they decided bowing down is not an option. In their knowledge of God, this is what they said. I know that God is able. In their faith, their faith said, he's going to do it. And their commitment said, even if he don't do it, I'm not going to bow. My faith says, in the middle of my pain, God is able. My knowledge of God's sovereignty says, he may or he may not. Can I preach like I want to preach? spirit when you die it looks like you lost but you didn't lose you would have lost if you would have bowed down but because they killed you and you stood standing they did not get the best out of you i'm gonna tell you church the only way you can lose is if you bow down to that mess i can't lose if he brings me out and i can't lose if he doesn't bring me out is if I bow and that's not gonna happen so I might be crying I might be sick I might be broken but I'm gonna stay standing in the promises of God because I'm not built to bow touch your neighbor tell them I'm not built to bow I'm not built to bow let your mama bow but I'm not bowing let the people bow down but I'm not bowing it might be me Meshach Abednego against a million people, but I'm going to stay standing because I don't live by sight, I live by faith. So, 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 and in every church, you got gossipers, in every church, you got some haters. Uh huh. And when the haters saw that the three guys didn't bow down, 
they went they went to Nebuchadnezzar they Nebuchadnezzar I you know I, I don't want to gossip but I'm just saying and they told Nebuchadnezzar there's three guys that were Hebrew slaves that you gave them position and they did not bow to the music and they did not bow to the idol Nebuchadnezzar comes back you know, you know, what, what, what's it come, come again? Yeah, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, everybody's bowing down, and you see a sea of people on their knees, except for three people that are refusing to bow down. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, I need to talk with those folk, the narcissistic, egomaniac, 25 year old, killing animal. He shows up before Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He thought that his presence was going to intimidate these three Hebrew boys. He thought that his presence was going to make these guys shatter their knees. But what he did not know is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego only bow before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he says, and he says, and he says, we got to hurry up. He says, if you don't bow down, Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna put the heat up. Now bear in mind, I told you that the fiery furnace was the God of Nebuchadnezzar. When the when Nebuchadnezzar saw that he did not intimidate them, Nebuchadnezzar went to his God and said, "Okay, you ain't gonna do this. Here's what I'm gonna do." I'm going to turn up the fire seven times. The word seven is the number of perfection. What Nebuchadnezzar is doing is he's giving his fire God perfect worship. He's saying, if you don't bow down, I'm going to worship my God. And we're going to see whose God is greater. My God of the fire or your invisible God. What did the Hebrew boy said? They said, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, I want you to know that we're not going to bow down. But just in case he doesn't deliver us. Your little fire God ain't got nothing on me. You can throw me in the fire. Uh, touch two people, tell them I'm not bowing down, I'm not bowing down, I'm not bowing down. While they were thrown in the fiery furnace, the Bible says that the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, as they were throwing them in, they were consumed by the fire. They threw them in the fire in the middle of the God of Nebuchadnezzar. And the Bible says that in the middle of the fire of Nebuchadnezzar, here comes Jesus walking in the middle of the gods of this earth. They, they threw him in the fire, but they didn't burn. I've come to tell you, church, you might be in your fire, but you're not going to burn. Your marriage might be on fire, but it ain't going to burn. Your finances might be on fire. Your body might be on fire, but Jesus is in the fire. Hallelujah. 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 Touch it and tell him, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I might look like I'm lonely. It might feel like I'm lonely. I might act like I'm lonely, but I'm not alone. Listen to me. Now look at what happens when you stand on the word of God. When you stand not on your senses, not on your intellect. When you stand on the word of God, Jesus will show up. They threw the Hebrew boys in there. And that's when Jesus showed up. He didn't show up when they got castrated. He didn't show up when they got evicted. He didn't show up when they made He showed up in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to bow. But they refused. They stood up. And when they stood up, you know what happened? Their standing up caused Nebuchadnezzar to bow down. Whenever you stand up against the devil, the devil in your life will eventually fall down before your God. So don't go by your senses. Keep on standing. Here's another thing. God did not show up to deliver them from the fire. That would have been nice, right? Before they throw them in, Jesus shows up. Dun, 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 dun. He didn't do that. Jesus let them go in the fire. Because Jesus never showed up to get them out of trouble. Jesus showed up to let the devil know I'm with them even in the trouble. Because they're not living life by what they feel or what they see. They're living life by spiritual relationship. And they were delivered. In the fire they were delivered. And that's the greatest message that we could preach. That while we're going through hell, God is making a way. 
that while we're being crushed and while we're being broken, that's the greatest message. That even in our fire, God is there with us. So why did Jesus show up? The Bible says that in the fire, their hands were loose. Then Jesus shows up. Why Jesus show up? If they're already free in the fire. Why? Why? Why show up? The Bible says before Jesus showed up, their hands were already free. So why have Jesus there? They're already delivered. They ain't getting burned. The reason why Jesus showed up after they were delivered is because God showed up to let the God of fire know. And let Nebuchadnezzar know that he is greater than the God of the fire and his image. So today, we have two choices to make. You could choose to go by your cognitive intuition, by your sensual perceptions. Or you can go by the word of God and a spiritual walk with the Lord. When you walk in the spirit... Walking in the Spirit implies I'm not going by what I'm living in my outside. Walking in the Spirit implies I'm walking and I'm living and I'm making this happen because of what I know God is on the inside. Three Hebrew boys decided not to bow. And three Hebrew boys caused an entire nation to worship God. Not having their masculinity, they lost it. That's what's crazy. God God delivered them, but they were still castrated. God delivered them, they were still in Babylon. God delivered them, they were still interpreting astrological concepts. God delivered them, they were still in charge of Babylonian land. They never went back. Because God never promised us to remove the pain and the hurting. He would promise we hope this message has inspired you. As a place of hope, our church is committed to reach our community. If you'd like more information about New Birth, visit our website at nbplaceofhope.com.